0: If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible there, Genesis chapter 46. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table there. You could probably raise your hand and I bet Ken would take you one. So if you need a Bible, just wave at Ken. Otherwise, grab yours and and turn to Genesis chapter 46. If you're just with us this morning, we've been in the story of Joseph. Hopefully you're somewhat familiar with that story of Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery in Egypt, slowly rose to power and was reunited with his brothers. And last week we ended um, in chapter 46 with the scene of, of Joseph and Jacob being reunited in the land of Egypt. Jacob, who is now 130 years old, if you can imagine living that long, 130 years old, and he is encouraged at the beginning of chapter 46 to, to go and to um, see Jacob there in Egypt. The Lord appears to him and says, don't be afraid to go down. And so now he arrives there, he sees his son's face after over 20 years of believing that he was dead, and they are reunited. It's a beautiful scene. And so now we see that God's covenant family the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is now out of the land of Canaan and they are all in the land of Egypt. Remember we saw those 70 individual members of Jacob's family made the trip um, and they, it reveals that, that everyone came and, and now they are here in Egypt and the blessings that have been pronounced on their family from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, in many ways they begin to take root, not in the land of Canaan, but they take root here in the land of Egypt. And our passage this morning focuses on, on God's covenant blessings on the children of Israel and then also on the people of Egypt. There are blessings that are going to come not just to God's people, but also to the people of Egypt, to the nations. And as we read this passage, we're going to see firsthand how, how Joseph blesses. In the first half, he blesses his family. And then in the second half, he blesses Pharaoh and all Egypt. Joseph becomes an extension of the promise that was made to Abraham. He brings the blessings of the covenant to his family and to the nations. And so as we look at this passage, we will see that in many ways, we are Joseph. We're called as Joseph to be an agent of blessing. We're also the children of Israel. We are Joseph's brothers. We are God's people that are blessed. And by faith, we are blessed by Christ. And then also that we are Egypt. We are the nations that have been blessed by God through his covenant people. So like Joseph, we're an extension of God's blessings to others. Like his brothers, we receive the blessings of God as his chosen people, as those who have put our faith in Christ. And then like Egypt, we are also the nations that have been blessed by the covenant made to Abraham. Let me state that a little bit more simply, a little bit more applicationally. Um, Here's our big idea for this morning. As God's children, we are called to be a blessing to others and to rejoice in the blessings of God. As God's children, we are called, like Joseph, to be a blessing to others, but also, like Egypt and like Joseph's family, we are called to rejoice in the blessings of God that come to us. Again, as as God's children, we are called to be a blessing to others and to rejoice in the blessings of God. So as we think about that, I hope we can identify what God's blessings look like, how to be an agent of those blessings, and also finally how Jesus is the greatest blessing that comes from the Father. And so that seeing all these things we would walk into next week just with our eyes open to the ways that God blesses us in our lives, but also determined to be blessing others in his name. So I want to read chapter 46, and we're going to start in verse 31 and go through um, 27, long passage, so let me give you some things to look for. First, those two sections, so you'll notice first the way Joseph blesses his own family, and then second, you'll notice the way that Joseph blesses all of Egypt, so note those two things. Then also just notice that Joseph is very active. There's a lot of verbs associated with Joseph. He's, he's doing a lot um, as he works for the good of his family, for Pharaoh, for Egypt, and then hold in your mind that big idea that we are called to be a blessing to others and to rejoice in the blessings of God. So Genesis 46, and I'll start in verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the land, in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers, in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their descendants. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, Buy us and our land for food? And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had fi- had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow in the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves, and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants of Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. I read an article this week, and there was a reference to this passage, and the article began, You've probably never heard a sermon on this passage. <laughs> and I thought, well, Grace Fellowship after this Sunday will not will be able to say, Well, actually I've heard a sermon on that passage. I love coming to passages like this. It just reminds me that all of God's word is applicable, is profitable to us. And um, So let's see what God has for us this morning. We begin with Joseph's uh, blessing of his family. That's sort of the first part here. At the end of chapter 46, having just reunited with his father, Joseph talks to his brothers about how to talk to Pharaoh. So they're about to meet the king of all Egypt, and Joseph wants to be sure that they know what to say and how to say it. Just like if you were going to meet the president or a king or a queen, you would want to understand how you need to talk to him or her. So Joseph gives instructions to his brother. He spells it all out very clearly in verses 31 and 32. He says, this is what I am going to say to Pharaoh. And then in verses 33 and 34, he says, now this is what you are to say to Pharaoh. And in both conversations, the main focus is on what these guys did for a living, namely that they were shepherds. And the goal of the conversation at the end of verse 34 is seen in that, in order that phrase, the goal is that Joseph wants to secure for his family a choice spot in the land of Goshen where they can continue to be shepherds. Now, the threat to this, and the reason that Joseph is so careful about his instruction, seems to be the fact that the Egyptians hated shepherds. I don't know, that seems a bit strange to me. I'm not sure about you, but I don't have any occupations that I am particularly against. I have no dislike for bank tellers, Emily. I have no issue with them, uh, or physical therapists, or carpet salesmen. No issues with them. I know some people don't like lawyers. Some people don't like politicians. Uh, but it would seem that there's something a little bit deeper going on here than so they just don't like shepherds. Um, and I think we're going to see that their concern is not unique. L- let's think about this. Put yourself... In Egypt's shoes famine has just hit the whole surrounding area and you are the one place that has food so you've become the destination for everyone who is hungry and destitute and in need streaming across your borders come hungry people from everywhere they come in, in packs. They come in packs as big as 70. Imagine Joseph's family coming with wagons full of all their stuff. And they're coming where? They're coming to Egypt. And at first you're kind of friendly. You know, you say, hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? And everyone that you ask, what do you do for a living? They all say, well, we're shepherds. And, and slowly the occupation shepherd becomes synonymous with foreigner who eats all of our food. And, and they start to not like these people that are coming. And they begin to despise not just Them, but they despise shepherds. Oh, here they come. It's another shepherd in our land. It's not because of what they do, but because of what they represent. Does that feel contemporary? We see that the the crisis of immigration, the question that surrounds it, is not something new that we just face in our day and age. It's something that the Egyptians were facing and something that um, the children of, of Israel also faced. So if that's the case, that the shepherds are despised in Egypt because of those reasons, I'm not sure why Joseph wants them to emphasize, hey, we're shepherds. That's the whole point. Tell Pharaoh that you guys are shepherds. I think maybe this might be the point. I think the point could be that they would be tempted to be deceptive. They'd be tempted to say something different. We're not shepherds. We're, we're something else that you know, maybe you'll like us. And, and Joseph says, just be honest. Just just tell him exactly who you are and tell him that's who you have always been. Because he knows that their connection to him is far more important than their occupation. In other words, Pharaoh would be less concerned that they were shepherds and more concerned that they were Joseph's family. And he loved Joseph, and so he would bless Joseph's family. You might wonder, given the character of these brothers, will they submit to their younger brother Joseph Will they listen to his advice? Will they do what he says? And they do. Joseph speaks to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh questions the brothers about their occupation. They respond as they were instructed with a few extra words. But then in verses 5 and 6, Pharaoh blesses Joseph's family. He says, settle in the best of the land in Goshen. And in fact, why don't you guys take charge of my livestock? And we know that Pharaoh's livestock is going to increase massively soon. And so Joseph's orders are followed. And the result is just as he's planned. There's a summary in verses 11 and 12. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, which would just be a later name for Goshen, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Joseph thus becomes an agent of God's covenant blessings to his family. His coming to Egypt His wise counsel have given his family this safe place in a foreign land where they will grow and they will prosper. Now, before we move on and think about how Joseph blesses Egypt, just two things that I want to note as we think about him blessing his family. There's more here, but I just want to note these two things. The first one is this. Humble obedience brings blessing. Humble obedience brings blessing. We're taught this as Joseph's family listens to his advice. They humble themselves before Joseph. They humble themselves before Pharaoh. And they receive great blessing. I'm sure there's occasions where it's probably best to be assertive, to say this is what I want and this is how I want it. But I think it's often in quiet obedience and trust that blessing comes into our lives. This is true all over the place. This is true in in the home. So children and, and teenagers... If you walk in obedience to your parents, if you walk in obedience to teachers and those in authority over you, it will bring more blessing into your life than if you reject their counsel or if you just tell them what they should do. In your workplace, faithfulness, hard work, honesty, these bring blessing. That's just how God has set up the world. Even if you don't get all the promotions that other people might get because they are saying this, that, or the other, God will bless you. God always blesses humble obedience. As we read God's word, if we would humble ourselves under his word and obey what he says, trust that his commands are for our good, they bring blessing into our lives. At home, at work, in the church, in every area of life, we can remember that humble obedience brings blessing. Prideful disobedience never really works out well. Tied up in this is, is, is this faith in God's sovereignty, this trust that, that God is going to act for our good in every circumstance. If we will obey him, if we will do what he says, if we will listen to his commands, he is working for our good. Joseph is an example of that. And now his brothers, as they submit to his counsel, as they submit to Pharaoh, show that humble obedience brings blessing. Second thing I want to note, it's kind of a side note. But notice this, God's people live as sojourners. God's people live as sojourners. It's a phrase that shows up a few times. In Canaan, they were nomads. You remember that. They lived in tents. Um, And as they come here in verse 4, they say to Pharaoh, They have come to sojourn in the land. They don't think they're going to make a permanent residence there. We're here to sojourn. Jacob speaks to Pharaoh. He refers to the days of his sojourning. He refers to the years of his father's sojourning. And so they are they are wanderers. They do not have a a permanent home. In Deuteronomy 26.5, Israel is going to enter into the land of Canaan. And God says he wants them to remember something. He wants them to say these words. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this land and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. We see throughout Scripture that the status of, of a sojourner, the status of someone who was a a nomad or a a wanderer, that that defined God's people. It was part of their history, and it was something that they should never forget. They weren't just shepherds. They were sojourners. They were wanderers. They were immigrants. And it's this status that was to make them compassionate for other foreigners and for other immigrants and for other sojourners. That defined them, and it, it told them how to react and interact with others. So when people came streaming across their borders, as they had streamed across the borders of Egypt, they would respond to them with compassion. Peter picks up on this, and he tells God's people that we are aliens and strangers. 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We who are God's children do not belong in this world. At our core, we, we belong to a different country. We, we belong to this land where... Where Jesus is king, and we are always looking for this day that we're going to get to that place. Two thoughts on that. Our status as sojourners should make us compassionate to everyone who wanders. Now, I'm not trying to get political, but whatever policy we want to land on regarding immigration or refugees, it should flow out of some identity saying, I am a sojourner. I am an alien. I am a stranger. I am a refugee. And so it should always flow from compassion and from a heart that gives to fellow immigrants. Again, I'm not espousing any particular way, but shouldn't compassion be the place that we start? Because this is who we are as God's people. And then the second way to think about this is that however we live in this world, it should always be under the awareness that this is not our final home. The day that we first set foot in the Father's house, that will be the day that we finally know what it feels like to be home. Right now, we are always wandering. And any home that we have is just some foretaste of what we will know when we are home with the Father. Remember that. So that's the way Joseph blesses his brothers. And it teaches us that, that humble obedience brings blessing. And it reminds us that we as God's people are sojourners. That's who we are. But then think about how Joseph blesses Egypt. As you begin to look at this, there's sort of a tale of two nations, and then there's a split that happens. If you look at verses 13 through 15, there's sort of this this pattern. Um, Look at chapter 47, verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished By reason of the famine. So who languished? The land of Egypt and the land of Canaan. Then in verse 14, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. He gets money from the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan um, in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought money into Pharaoh's house. Verse 15, And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, so Egypt, Canaan, both broke, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. And said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Both the land of Canaan and the land of Egypt were broke. But who comes to Joseph and begins to bargain for food with their livestock? Just the Egyptians. It's only the Egyptians that sell their livestock. It's only the Egyptians that later sell their land. It's only the Egyptians that then sell themselves to Pharaoh. I think part of what's happening is that verses 13 and 14, as they talk about bringing the money, this is probably a reference to sometime in those first two years. When when Joseph's brothers came, you remember they did bring money, and they did buy grain. But having arrived in year two-ish of the famine, now where are they? They're in the land of Goshen. They've been given pasture for their flocks, and they are, they are provided with everything that they need by their brother. They keep their livestock, for now at least. We see, too, that they keep their land. I don't know, but without Joseph, could it be that Pharaoh felt some sort of right to take the, the land of Canaan? That he would have spread the Egyptian territory up to the northeast? I don't know. But he could have maybe rightly taken them as slaves. They, they, they're going to be unjustly enslaved later, but what if they had sold themselves and it was Pharaoh's right to, To have them as slaves, they had no right to leave the land of Egypt. That might change history. But instead, we read this summary in verse 27, and this summary is said in contrast to everything that happens to Egypt. It says, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. As we said, God has brought them as this wandering nation, 70 people, and he's placed them in this fruitful land with no threats on them, and at this point, they're able to prosper. They, they begin to see the blessings of Abraham happen to them in a foreign land. They are increasing in number like the sand of the she, seashore that was promised. They are fulfilling the creation mandate. It's the same words, isn't it? They're being fruitful, and they are multiplying. And then I, I heard Sinclair Ferguson preaching this week, and he was talking about this number 70, and he said it probably refers back to the Tower of Babel. When there were seventy nations that arrayed themselves against God, and now seventy persons have come so into Egypt, so that God can begin a new humanity. He can begin a new nation with Jacob's family. I, I just was as I meditated on that, I thought, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we as we see God's continual protection of His people, we can know that no earthly king will ever take away the inheritance that we have been given by God through Christ. No power on earth can, can take away the hope that we have of heaven. And if we have been bought by Christ, then we are free. We are free from anyone who would try to enslave us. We who follow Jesus, we are, we are sojourners in this world, but we are blessed and we are free. And anyone who doesn't submit to King Jesus... They may be at home in this world, but they are far from free. The question, though, is what do you think about what Joseph does? You know, he takes all of Egypt's money, takes all their livestock, he takes all their land, and then he enslaves everyone, and he establishes a 20% tax over the whole land of Egypt that continues in perpetuity in the future. Doesn't that seem harsh? In part because where's the grain that he had? Where did he get that grain? He got it from them, from the 20% tax in the years of plenty. It's their grain, as it were. And now he's charging them to get it back. Desperate times call for desperate measures, I think, in some ways. And as harsh as he was, Joseph is decisive. He's not as harsh as probably the surrounding nations. And his actions save Egypt. And the people acknowledge that. Are the people upset? Verse 25, they say, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. Did Joseph bring blessing to Egypt? Yeah, totally. A lot of blessing. In fact, we we see even shades of the covenant that was made to his forefathers as as he becomes a blessing to the nations. He's an agent of blessing to the Egyptians because of God's work through him and, and in him. He is a picture even of Christ who suffered and is now exalted and brings salvation to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Did Joseph bless Egypt? Yes. Did Joseph bring difficulty into Egypt? I think so. His actions saved the people, but he also gave more money and more power to an earthly king. He 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 brought about good, but he also enslaved this, this whole nation to Pharaoh. I don't know, I think Joseph shows us that as we, as we bless others in this fallen world, we can do good for many people, but we can also, at the same time as we're doing good for some people, we might bring pain into other people's lives. It happens in our own lives. We seek to bless others and we hurt others, even inadvertently. Our intentions are right, but the result sometimes brings pain. We want to avoid that, we want to try to avoid that, but sometimes it's unavoidable. But still... I just I want you to be encouraged because I think that Joseph helps us see that our wise and decisive actions, they can be a blessing to other people. Joseph is sort of this example of the fact that God can use the work of your hands, the things that that you do to bring blessing into the lives of others. What is Joseph's occupation? I'd call him a politician. (laughs) He was one of those guys we said that most people don't like. And yet God uses his wisdom, God uses his skill, God uses his knowledge to bless his family and to bless the nations. And I think that's encouraging for us. That's encouraging for you if you have a job. God can use the skills that he's given you. God can use the mind that he's given you, the decisions that you made, that you make, the ways that he has gifted you in different ways to be a blessing, to bless your employer. To bless those that you work for, God makes you a blessing to others—a perfect blessing, probably not. But don't think that God can't use what you do just because you're not a missionary, or you're not a pastor, or you're not in full-time service of some kind. Joseph was used in a way that, in an amazing way, he was used to save nations, and he was—he was just a politician. And God can use you and the work that you do. To bless and to serve others. He can cause your wisdom and your ingenuity to bless others and to be a fragrance of Christ. And what's Joseph's mantra all the time? It's not me. God has done this. And as we work hard and as we bless others, we are able to say, God is blessing you through me. I'm an agent of God's blessing. We're just like Joseph. God can use the church as well. God can use our our great goal is is the proclamation of the gospel but he can also use us to bless others in very practical ways in doing exactly what Joseph does in helping people find food and helping them know how to manage their finances and helping them to to get a job and to provide. We can bless others in these ways, and hopefully it's a means for us to continue to share the good news of the gospel. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, maybe the the real boots-on-the-ground application is to think, how can I be a blessing to someone this week? How can I be an agent of God's blessing in some practical way, just like Joseph was, in a way that honors God? How can I do that this week? There are ways that we are blessings all throughout the week. If if you're at home, you're probably blessing your children. If you're at work, you're blessing your employer, those that you work for. But maybe something real specific, a specific way you could bless a specific person in the name of Jesus. What is a way that you can be an agent of God's grace to someone else? How can you serve another person In the name of Jesus, maybe someone in your family, maybe someone, a co-worker, a friend, maybe someone in this in this church, maybe even just a stranger, someone, you know, you encounter every week and you say, you know what, as a means of 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 extending the blessing that God has given to me, I'm going to bless this person with the hopes of them knowing Christ more and of showing the beauty of God's kingdom that is coming into this world. Joseph. Joseph blessed many people. He was an agent of blessing to his family, he was an agent of blessing to Pharaoh, to all Egypt. And so we too can bless others. But Joseph isn't the only person who does the blessing in this passage. Did you notice who else is a blessing? Who else blesses someone? Jacob. Jacob blesses who? Blesses Pharaoh. This is a wonderful scene in chapter 47. And you see it in 47 verses 7 through 10. Joseph brings his father Jacob before Pharaoh, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then it says it again in verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out. You know, if you put Pharaoh and Jacob side by side, and you said, who's going to bless who? I think that we would all probably, more than likely, if we're not thinking about God's economy, we would say Pharaoh would bless Jacob because Pharaoh is obviously greater. But it's the other way around. And if we think about this more, we shouldn't be surprised because in fact, Pharaoh has already been blessed by Jacob and will continue to be blessed by Jacob because Pharaoh is blessed by Jacob through his son, Joseph. Everything that Pharaoh has at this point is because of Joseph, who is Jacob's father. And now Jacob who is the son of Isaac and Abraham. He is the line of blessing. He is the man through whom all nations will be blessed. And so it makes perfect sense that Jacob is the guy who blesses Pharaoh. You have those, that, those two statements of blessing, and they sort of bookend this conversation that happens between uh, Jacob and, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, How many days are the years of your life, when you're really old it's okay to ask that question i guess you know there's there's some you're not allowed to ask that question to some people how old are you right but but obviously jacob is an old man and so pharaoh says how old are you and jacob replies in a unique way first when he replies he doesn't use that same phrase but he speaks of his life as a sojourning as a as a just a guy who never had a home we kind of talked about that a little bit. But the, the the next thing he says, he describes his days as few and evil. Certainly Jacob had been through a lot in his life. If you want to retrace all that happened in Jacob's life, it was, it was tough. He describes his days as few and evil, and he had faced significant pain, and much of it was the result of his own sin. But finally he says that his few days have not... Uh, they're not even as many as his father's. Abraham lived to be 175. His father Isaac lived to be 180. And so Jacob says, I haven't even attained to that. Few and evil, and not as long as my father's. You know, as negative as his, I, he sounds kind of pessimistic, doesn't he? Just sort of looking back in his life, few and evil have been the days of my life. I mean, just. But I, I don't think he's being pessimistic. I think he's just being honest. He's just looking back and saying, you know what? My life has been hard, and I'm not too proud to admit it. I think, you know, if you wanted to ask a different question, if Pharaoh would have sort of said, Jacob, how you doing? He would have said, I'm here. <laughs> he made it. I'm in Egypt. This is not what I expected. My life did not go the way that I expected, but, but I'm here. Some of us can relate to that maybe more than others. Certainly on a small scale, we've all had a day where we said, well, I survived. Or you could have a week where you say, I survived. When I sing up here, I say, We survived that song, I guess. There's <laughs> that that feeling of we just made it. And Jacob has, has lived a life sort of a survival. He's had a life of pain. And he's just sort of happy that he survived. And yet while Joseph is this is this great picture of Christ in the, the way that he goes down and then rises to the top. As I, as I look at those words of Jacob, believe it or not, I think that in that, Jacob becomes a picture of Christ for us. I, I read those words, and you know what I think of? I think of Isaiah 53. How does Isaiah 53 describe Jesus? It says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Alvin Ross, a commentator, said this about Jacob. Jacob was the channel of divine blessing to the world, but his days were few and filled with trouble. Isn't that interesting? He could be a channel of blessing while still having few days filled with trouble. He was a man who had faced the full force of the storm of God's sovereignty. I mean, he had felt every single bit of it. And for all of his mistakes, he sort of just held his family together through some sort of rugged, you know, gnarly faith that he had it's just a weathered guy but he was there and he's standing at the end and he says it's been tough but I'm here and I will bless you Pharaoh his days were few they were painful but he blessed his family and now he's blessing Pharaoh I don't know maybe that sometimes that's a season of life sometimes that's your life we are a channel of blessing but my day's hard I think, I think Jacob's a father. Jacob's a guy who says, you know what, I want to bless my kids, and it's going to be tough. We see that all the time as parents lay down their own rights to bless their children. But the way I think it's a picture of Christ is, as we come to, to the table this morning, we see this triumphant picture of Joseph. That's here. But we also sort of see the battle-worn picture of Jacob. We can see that our salvation, the, the blessing that we know through Christ, was purchased how? It was purchased through pain and agony. It was purchased through insults and beating. The salvation that we have was bought for us through nails, through a spear. Our salvation is stained with the blood of a man who sojourned his whole life. Never had a place to lay his head. Our salvation is purchased by the blood of a man whose days were few and evil. His days were cut short when he was, less, he was just 30-some years old. And he faced opposition, he faced evil all his life. The people that he had come to bless rejected him. Jesus comes, and out of the midst of that, he blesses everyone who would come to him in faith. If we would come, if we would admit our sins, if we would admit our inability to save ourselves, and we would trust in the work that He has done, that He has lived a righteous life, that He has taken the penalty for our sins through the cross, that we are blessed with salvation. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He went through pain so that we could know joy. His days were cut short so that we could... Have eternal days and be blessed for all of our lives. Yes, Jesus is seen in the picture of Joseph rising and everyone bowing down to him. But we can see Jacob standing before Pharaoh and know that that's the Savior too. It's that gift that we want to remember this morning. We take the bread and we take the cup. And that's what they are. They're, it's it's bread and it's juice, but it's a remembrance of, of the body of Christ broken for us. It's the remembrance that Jesus shed his blood to purchase our salvation. If that's where your hope is, I'm not saying in this table as I pointed. out. If your hope is in what Christ has done, the fact that he died, that he paid the penalty for my sins, that I... I don't bring anything to Christ for my salvation. I don't bring my good works or the fact that I go to church or who my parents were or anything else. I come with empty hands and I say, Jesus alone is my hope of salvation. If that's what you believe, then I would invite you to come and remember Jesus this morning. Remember that he is our hope.